Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We are joined by Ms. Pat Heron, who is a humanities and social sciences librarian here at McKeldin Library at the University of Maryland Library. So we have one of our own joining us today, and I'm very delighted to be interviewing with her. She has an exciting background, as you read in her biography, and more than that, she's just an amazing, amazing salt-of-the-earth person. So I am delighted, and I'm sure you will learn tons from her interview. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first question is, librarianship is often a serendipitous career. It's neat to learn how people come into the profession. Would you describe how and why you became a librarian? Okay, so I came to the profession through a circuitous route, as is often the case with librarians. So let me give you a little context first. Uh, and you will see a number of common threads that eventually coalesced into my decision to become a librarian. As a young person, I lived in South America. My dad was a foreign service officer, and I learned Spanish, although not with the, unfortunately, not as a native speaker since I did attend American schools. And I developed a very deep connection and love of Latin American culture and its people. When I returned to the States for college, I studied English and American literature, thus my love of reading and books, and I also worked part-time in my university's library. Upon graduation, I became a high school English and Spanish teacher for several years, and I did this knowing that this was not a long-term career for me. Um, as I began to contemplate other career paths, I decided to enroll in a master's program in library science thinking I would become a high school media librarian, only to discover my interest in public libraries. Mm -hmm. After receiving my MLS, I took a job at the public library in Petersburg, Virginia, which is a small city about half an hour south of Richmond, and I loved my work there. I was a reference and adult services librarian. Uh, I offered uh, research assistance to high school students, adult patrons, and even seniors. There was a senior living residence right across the street from the library, so we saw a lot of those folks. Mm -hmm. um, I was also heavily involved in adult, uh, building the adult nonfiction and reference collection. So this job helped me develop <clears throat> my expertise as a reference and collection development librarian and laid the groundwork for my future work as a government contract librarian where I worked at, <clears throat> excuse me, the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, heading up their interlibrary loan department, and then at the Department of Energy as a reference librarian. Mm -hmm. I began working at the University of Maryland Libraries in 1985. I was first uh, an undergraduate librarian and then became the, one of the humanities librarians, mm -hmm. where I have since worked with students and faculty in various departments, primarily within the College of Arts and Humanities. And my current position is as the subject liaison librarian for English, linguistics, Latin American, and Latinx studies. So my love of libraries actually began when I was a young elementary school mm. uh, student. And I would attend the summer reading programs at my local public library. And I still vividly remember uh, acquiring that um, coveted certificate for having read <laughs> the requisite yes. number of books over the summer. 
Um, my first job in the profession opened my eyes to the value of public libraries and the incredible and varied services that it, they offer to the local communities, and especially to those individuals with who are economically disadvantaged mm -hmm. or uh, early immigrant uh, populations. Um, my work in government libraries and as an academic library has allowed me to grow in my knowledge and expertise of collection development, research, and in, uh, instructional services. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the basic values of librarianship, among which are free access to information, emphasis on education and life lear lifelong learning, intellectual freedom, democracy, mm -hmm and social responsibility, to name just a few, mm -hmm. have been alive and well in all of the libraries I have been privileged to work in. Mm -hmm. The only thing that has changed has been the makeup of the community of users served in each locale. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. sort of a little background on why yeah. I became a librarian. And it's interesting to see how each facet uh, when you were in federal government and then also when you were in public and now in academic, they kind of triangulate and you can borrow from each experience. Exactly. So that's that's very neat to see. Exactly. So how did you learn about the San Juan del Sur Biblioteca Libraries for All program? And how long ago with, was that that you learned about it? Well, um, again, a little context here. Uh -huh. um, as part of my responsibilities as one of the Latin American Studies librarians at the University of Maryland. I attended the Guadalajara Book Fair in Mexico in 2005. Uh, my colleague and friend Lily Greiner, I call her my partner in crime, <laughs> she's the business and economics librarian, she traveled with me to Mexico. Um, and we attended an ALA mini conference there and we met Jane Mirandette, who is a Colorado native who lived, happened to be living part-time in Nicaragua and who had started the first lending library in San Juan del Sur. Uh, she talked about her library project and the many services it provided, and including its bookmobile service to the surrounding rural uh, communities. Um, she also described her collaboration with the library school at Simmons College in Boston, for whom the library and its projects had become an international learning um, service venue. And during her presentation, she extended an invitation to everyone in the audience to visit her library and volunteer in any way possible. And she was especially interested in finding ways to connect her library projects with universities. Mm -hmm. So that's how that's how I, my first foray, foray, so to speak, into this. And Jane's invitation captured my imagination. I could not stop thinking about her and especially her offer to partner and volunteer with her library. I was also, I must say, intrigued with the idea of visiting, visiting Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. um, I had lived in Argentina and Venezuela during my youth, and as a librarian, I had visited Mexico extensively, but I'd never been to Central America, so I had to do it. Mm -hmm. So the very over the next few years, my friend Lily and I continued to think and talk about Jane's invitation, and in the fall of 2007, we decided to investigate the possibility of connecting the University of Maryland faculty and students with the San Juan del Sur Library and its community. We were actually successful in getting approval from our Dean of Libraries, although I must say with some skepticism, he wanted to know how a university library could connect with a, a public library. Mm -hmm. 
But he gave us the okay so to travel and to pursue a partnership with San Juan del Sur Library. We also, at the same time, connected with Professor Anne Weeks. She's a, a professor emeritus from mm -hmm. the iSchool. Um, and at that her time, her research uh, interests were in school library media services. Okay. Um, and who, unbeknownst to us at the time, was already working on establishing the first study abroad program with the iSchool. Interesting. So things sort of <laughs> fell into place. It right. was meant to be. Um, Anne was. <clears throat> excuse me, was very excited to hear about the possibility of her students traveling to Nicaragua to learn about issues related to development and sustainability mm -hmm. of library services in developing countries. And she immediately saw this as an opportunity for them to gain practical experience in providing children's library services in an international setting. So Lily and I traveled to Nicaragua for several weeks in March of 2008. We met with Jane, we scoped out the library and the commu community, um, and we together we worked up a tentative course outline. And when we returned, we worked with them weeks and came up with the first iSchool study abroad course. It was called, it took place, the first one took place in the winter term of 2009, and it was entitled International Opportunities in Information Studies destination Nicaragua. Uh, we taught the course again in 2010 and 2011 and Lily and I actually accompanied Anne and the students on all three courses. Um, we served as uh, language and country experts and resource librarians and of course Jane Marindette was very involved. She provided all of the logistics support and actually connected Anne and her students to multiple library related projects for the students to work with. Um, and when Ann Weeks, unfortunately, when Ann Weeks stepped away for, from teaching to become the associate dean at the iSchool, no one else stepped in I to take over the course. Mm -hmm. um, not as relevant, but just so you know, um, Lily, who was, uh, she was actually instrumental in, in uh, establishing an agreement with the University of Maryland Business School. Okay. Um, to offer short-term spring study abroad courses to Nicaragua. So um, the course was entitled Doing Business in Nicaragua, Microfinance in Action. Mm -hmm. And the course began in 2012 and it was reprised in 2013, 2014, 2015. And it was basically intended for students to gain experience um, as consultants to small business and uh, business entrepreneurs and startups. And while the focus was on working with local businesses, there was always a tie-in to the library projects um, and the San Juan del Sur Library. Um, so, and again, Lily and I accompanied those courses as well. So that's awesome. sort of a, a kind of an overview of how I've been involved, mm -hmm. how I met Jane, how I became involved with the library, and mm -hmm. subsequent to that, how we've uh, evolved. Awesome. I want to take a little bit of a step back and also it dawned on me that we hadn't described where San Juan de Sur right. is because we have that knowledge, but would you quickly describe for our students where San Juan de Sur is in okay. Nicaragua and uh, how it differs from the rest of the country? Okay, so Nicaragua is in Central America. It's south of, and you have to help me here, it's Honduras. South of Honduras. It, Hondur mm -hmm. and, and north of Costa Rica. Costa Rica, of course, <laughs> I know. I knew that. 
Um, and San Juan del Sur is located on the far southern, southwest, western part of the country. It's on the Pacific coast. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about 30 miles north of Costa Rica, of the border with Costa Rica. It's, um, it used to be a fishing town predominantly, and now over the last 20, 30 years, a lot of American expats have moved down there. There's a, uh, qu quite a number of Canadians there too. And it's also very heavily populated by tourists and um, surfers. That's right, the surfers. <laughs> Except for, and I'll bring this up a little bit later on, the, a lot of that Tourism has left the country because of some right. political unrest. That's correct. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, Nicaragua, like many countries, has a large, uh, vast difference in de geography. The northern part mm -hmm. is where the beautiful mountains are. Yeah. Um, the Atlantic coast, which is where you're from, right. Bluefield, yeah. right? I'm not familiar with. I've never mm -hmm. traveled there, so. I would ask you to kind of describe the community right. there. Yeah, it's very uh, multicultural. We have the indigenous community and also the black diaspora community, which we uh, refer to as Creole. So I would be a Creole, although my dad is Miskito um, Indian and so or Native American. And so we have a very vibrant community, but it's sometimes disconnected from the rest of, or I should say the Pacific coast of the country where the seat of government is where the major universities are, um, where the major business entities are. So um, in terms of socioeconomic uh, flourishment, we haven't really seen that as much on the Atlantic coast, although there is some tourism as well. And it's because we're in the tropics, we're right on the Atlantic coast and it's, um, you know, people usually travel through Bluefields to get to uh, the Cayman Islands sometimes, and even Corn Island, yes. which are major yes. tourist destinations. So we are seeing some development, but as you mentioned, and you'll speak to later, uh, there's been a lot of setbacks as a result of the unrest. Um, but you're right in, in that Nicaragua has sort of three parts, and San Juan del Sur is right there on the fault line, yes. so you get those great waves and those yes. tourists <laughs> on the Pacific coast. And so you have this very beautiful country with nine volcanoes. Some of them are active, great lakes, you know, Lake Managua, Lake Nicaragua. But, um, you know, so much potential, but it has had so many challenges. So thank you for providing that context about where San Juan del Sud is and sort of the um, how, how it differs. We do have a lot of uh, international uh, you know, transplants and expats, and so it's it's also in its own right a very vibrant multicultural community because of that international sort of setting. Absolutely. Yeah, great, thank you. So the San Juan de Sud and UMD libraries are certainly different, but in one way, in what ways rather, do you transfer skills from one setting to the other? Well, okay, as I mentioned earlier, um, there are certain basic values of within libraries and librarianship. They include the recognizing the importance of education, free and equal access to information, a commitment to democracy and social responsibilities. And these are common to all types, shapes, and 
sizes of libraries, from public libraries in small rural communities to large uh, city libraries to research university libraries. Mm -hmm. So, in my and these, this is my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, once these values have been established and integrated <clears throat> into the cultural fabric of a given library where one works, the rest, in my opinion, is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once you've adopted those basic values, the rest is just learning. That's good. Um, transferring and scaling technical skills like knowledge of reference tools, how to teach information and computer literacy, acquiring new foreign language skills, uh, even understanding and advocating for the needs of your user group. All of these can be learned and adapted to any new library environment. Um, I personally was fortunate in that I had the opportunity to learn Spanish in my youth and to work in a public library mm -hmm. before I came to work for the UM libraries. So for me, the transfer of skills to San Juan, the San Juan del Sur Biblioteca, if you will, was comfortable and natural. Um, and I don't want to speak for my colleagues, uh, Lily or Professor Ann Weeks, but having worked and traveled with them on three study abroad courses, I think that I can attest to the fact that they too were easily able to transfer the skills from one library setting to the other. So how were the three of us, each with very different career trajectories, successful in working there in the public library in the um, town of San Juan del Sur? In my opinion, it was not about our learned technical skills or our educational and professional backgrounds, so much as it was <clears throat> about a common set of traits and skills that we had either acquired naturally or had developed over the years. And these are to me the most important skills, if you will, that helped us succeed with our work in Nicaragua. So what are they? Intellectual curiosity, wanting to learn and understand people of other countries. Mm -hmm. That is essential. For example, how are people in other countries similar? How are they different from us? What are our shared values? And how can we capitalize on these to engage in meaningful projects? Um, having a desire to learn and understand the cultures of people in other countries and being able to place them, this to me is extremely important, within a historical and political context yes. and understanding um, how the international community, the U.S. in particular in this case, was so has been so intertwined with their um, their past and their, their their current situation. Also, the desire to learn about cultures and specifically learning about them through immersive experience—that's that, critical. And finally, a willingness to take risks. Mm -hmm and a willingness to experience different and sometimes uncomfortable situations, uh, recognizing that these experiences often result in positive growth. Mm -hmm. So embracing the um, differences, the, the uncomfortable situations you may be in just by virtue of being in a different culture, a different country, a different language, but learning how to take those in and make them positive experience and sure. learn from them. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So what is the biggest lesson you've learned? Um, this, this question was difficult for me to answer. I really had to do some, some soul searching mm -hmm. and I pondered and I pondered and 
finally, this is what I came up with. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think it's important to possess or develop a certain set of qualities um, that I think are essential for su success in interna international projects, such as this. So there are five that I chose. Mm -hmm. Patience. Mm -hmm. Okay. You need to set your sights on the long game. Um, do not get derailed by the problems that arise along the way. There will be problems, and there will often be a multitude of problems. So don't let them derail you. Keep your eye on the long-term goal. Mm -hmm. um, when Lily and I decided we wanted to connect with the San Juan del Sur Library, to be honest with you, people thought we, in, <laughs> in this university setting, in this academic library setting, didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Um, the support wasn't initially there, mm -hmm. but we knew we wanted to do it. Sure. And the goal was to experience it, and we didn't let things stop us. Mm -hmm. Optimism is number two. Um, I'm generally a pretty optimistic person, as, are, as have been my colleagues. Um, there will be highs and lows in this kind of work. It's essential to remain optimistic. This will help you get through the low points. Mm -hmm. Three, teamwork mm -hmm. is essential. Embrace and cultivate teamwork. Um, these types of international endeavors require an incredible amount of work from a multitude of people. You cannot start and sustain a program such as this alone. And I'm not just talking about the uh, study abroad courses, but specifically the work that Jane Marendette has done. Mm -hmm. She's um, to create the first public lending library in Nicaragua and to provide books to rural communities and to other locales in the country. I mean, she has worked with a multitude of people. She's got teams everywhere set mm -hmm. up. Um, number four would be control. Be willing to give up control, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and often this is critical to bringing the collective work forward. Um, teamwork is messy, yeah. just like democracy is right. messy but it's an essential ingredient in projects of this nature. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah, control the things that, that are in your purview that only you perhaps know how to do, but be willing to change, be willing to give someone else a leadership role, be willing to listen to others, and um, don't be a control freak, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. The last one is flexibility. Uh, you have to learn how to get along with many different individuals, um, each with their own way of doing things and with their own work styles, especially when you're working with another culture. I mean, Americans, they, they, they talk of us about our country, our people as coming from a very, having very individualistic um, work ethics. You know, we, we're, we're pioneers, we want to be individuals, we want to make known are, um, you know, anyone in business wants to be noted for having created the business on their own, that kind of thing. In Latin America, they're what we would call a collective society. Mm -hmm. They work as teams, that's very natural to them. Mm -hmm. Often it starts with the family and the, the larger family, you know, the uncles, the aunts, the Extended. nieces and nephews. Yeah. 
And a lot of the businesses there, a lot of the work that's done there is, is done in a collective fashion. So if you're going to be working in another culture, you have to understand how they work. Sure. And be willing to modulate your, your work style Absolutely. and be flexible yeah. in that way. Cultural competence is so important, yes. but all the more so when you're in an entirely different country, right? So that's very good. So you touched on this. You spoke very eloquently about the biggest lessons you've learned. So some of that is transferable to the next question. What advice would you have for those who are interested in international librarianship? Okay, so um, first of all, pursue your chosen field of study, okay? Mm -hmm. Become a librarian, um, regardless of what um, area you decide to work in, academia, archives, public libraries, school libraries, nonprofit. Um, choose one that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is critical. Become an expert in your field. Learn as much as you can. Be aware that countries around the world are in need of experts in our profession. There's a great need. Um, you will be, and you will be able to find and carve out any number of opportunities. The need is there. Um, if th then there are a couple of very basic things I think you want to contemplate. If you don't have a facility with a second language, mm. consider taking some courses. I mean, I don't mean becoming a fluent speaker of another language. That's not easy to do unless you're immersed in that culture for a long period of time or unless you have a real gift for languages. But learn the basic phrases. Make an attempt to have some facility with the language of the country that you're going to visit. I can't tell you how that opens, how often that will open doors. Even just a greeting in another language and a few phrases goes so long mm -hmm. in identifying you as someone who values mm -hmm. the people yeah. and their culture. Language is so important. That's my, again, this is my personal opinion. Um, <coughs> if you've not travel, traveled abroad much or at all, consider taking a study mm -hmm. abroad course, an internship in another, another country. There are also a lot of um, volunteer tourism opportunities out there where yeah you can go and you can have fun and you can visit all the important sites but you can also volunteer and work directly with some of the people of the country mm -hmm. you know tourism doesn't traveling only works if you can connect with the people mm -hmm. um, not just to go to um, you know the famous beaches and hang out with another uh, a bunch of uh, other English language, English speaking people or Americans, you need to find a way if you're traveling to actually connect with the people of the country. Mm -hmm. um, another thing you want to do as you do this kind of traveling, if it's new to you, you want to then um, ask yourself, is this something, you, is this just a passing interest or is it this love of travel sustainable? Is this mm -hmm. something that you want to have become a part of your life. Um, also, you want to examine yourself. Do you have those essential abilities and traits that I mentioned al already? 
uh, an intellectual curiosity wanting to learn and understand people of other countries through the immersive experiences. And again, a willingness to take risks and put yourself in different and sometimes uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. um, being surrounded by people speaking another language and not being able to make yourself understood. You know, can you find a way to experience that, uncomfortable as it might be, but then kind of turn it around to help you grow? Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have these abilities, then work on developing them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if you don't have them and you don't want to work on them, then maybe reconsider um, your idea to pursue international librarianship mm -hmm. or the kind that requires that you work in other libraries uh, in other countries. Um, I must say that in my 34 years as a librarian, my collaboration with HGH Libraries for All and the San Juan del Sud Library have been by far the most rewarding of my mm -hmm. career and I am so thankful that I made that trip to Guadalajara in 2005 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and met Jane and her yes. library and that I've been privileged to work with the incredible people and programs in Nicaragua. I've been awesome. traded for the world. Yeah, your energy is contagious too. So what do you think the future holds for the SJSB and the Libraries for All program? Okay, so I guess I, give you again a little more background on what it is and what they do and the services they provide. There's some positives, there's a little negative, and then hopefully an upbeat uh, positive message at the end. Um, the library's been in existence since 2002. Um, this is when Jane Marindette moved the small but very popular reading collection from a small hotel that she ran in San Juan to its own building across the street. Um, it's currently located near the main town center, and it houses about 12,000 books. Um, members of the community average, uh, borrow an average of 600 to 800 books a month, and there's a 97% return rate. So you can understand from that it's well used, and they value the library because they return their books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like many U.S. public libraries, they have a large space that's equipped with the computers, uh, and free internet access. Um, children, young adults gather daily, they read, they do homework, they study, they participate in a lot of library and community-sponsored activities that are held in the library. Mm -hmm. um, the San Juan del Sur Library Bookmobile Project began in May of 2003, and three times a week, library staff and volunteers load bins of books into a pickup truck and on a rotating basis, they venture out to 35 surrounding rural schools. So they mm -hmm. meet at the schools where the students are and the teachers are, and at each site, the students and teachers are able to browse through the books, check out what they want, and return the books uh, that they've had before. Mm -hmm. And they also provide, just like with public libraries, reading, storytelling, crafts, and activities. Usually about, they usually spend about two hours in the library. Okay. Okay. Um, in addition to library and information services, um, Jane's group also partners with international organizations such as VOSH. VOSH is, uh, stands for Volunteer Optometric Services to Humanity and Rotary International. 
and they work with them uh, to provide medical, dental clinics, optometric services, building and, uh, and building water and sanitation improvements. And they mm -hmm. do all this through the bookmobile service. Okay. Um, it's really quite innovative mm -hmm. how they do that. So the, the bookmobile has connected with these 35 rural communities and it's almost like a little community center, if you would, um, for that community, the, the, the library, the schools are. So the Rotary and the Vosh use those as their sites to sure. connect with the yeah. local communities and provide right. mm. Um, in 2003, Jane established the Hester J. Hodgson Libraries for All program. This is a 501c3 tax-exempt charitable organization, which was set up to support the San Juan del Sur Library and to promote the development and success of lending libraries in Central America. And the foundation is the vehicle through which the charitable revenues flow to pay the operating funds for the library and its okay. many programs. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, funding for the library grew at a steady rate from its inception in 2002 until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. A little bit more on this in a few minutes. Um, Jane has built a solid donor base and is able to generate charitable funds through uh, donation solicitations and a matching yearly grant. And while the entire Nicaraguan library staff is paid a salary, the board members are all volunteers and their services are free of charge, as are the, um, uh, the services provided by Rotary International and Bosch. Mm -hmm. okay. So they're free to the um, uh, community members mm -hmm. in Nicaragua. Um, additional income comes through fees that Jane charges as a facilitator to mission groups and service learning programs, okay. such as the UM Study Abroad mm -hmm. programs and uh, a program called GRIP, which stands for Global Responsibility Internship Program mm -hmm. that she established in 2016. And this okay. is an internship program that's uh, for students who've graduated from high school mm -hmm. and want to take kind of a gap year before they enter college. And okay. they want to intern and they want to study, they want to be abroad. It's I see. a really innovative program that okay. she started. So the fees that she generates from um, being the logistics person, the, the, the boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, coordinator, um, are fees that go towards keeping the library going. I see, okay. So, in spring of 2018, uh, things took a negative turn. Mm -hmm. uh, civil unrest erupted in Nicaragua and the country was thrown into economic and political turmoil, turmoil from which they have not fully recovered, okay? Um, in fact, the U.S. State Department issued and to this date still maintains a level three reconsider travel to Nicaragua alert for the country. Uh, as a result, mission groups, the GRIP program, all of our study abroad courses uh, have all ceased to operate mm -hmm. uh, because of safety concerns and therefore the funds generated from these programs have evaporated. Mm -hmm. Volunteers from Rotary International and Bosch canceled their visits in 2018 and 2019. Mm -hmm. Tourism which was a major economic driver for the country and especially that region of the country, has all but disappeared. The town of San Juan del Sur, as you can imagine, which is beautifully situated on the Pacific uh, coast, was 
especially hit hard. However, there are current signs that some of the tourists are returning and for the first time in several years, Vosch and Rotary International are planning return trips in 2020. Oh, great. So things are getting better. Mm -hmm. So where are we now? What does the future hold? Uh, somewhat of an unknown. I will say, though, that during this lull that we've had, um, where we haven't had the study abroad classes and other things going on, Jane and her board members have been working on a number of fronts. First, Jane uh, has changed the makeup of the board members. I'm currently a board member, and the focus is now on bringing in individuals who have a long-standing and committed relationship specifically to the library okay. and its programs. Um, we are in the process of, of updating the foundation's website with a more robust and modern look. It's not uh, available for uh, live yet, mm -hmm. um, and it also better reflects our core mission. Uh, we're researching possible grant opportunities, um, but we haven't sent out any uh, letters of inquiry yet, but we're working on that front. The most exciting new initiative, however, is the opening of a 3D printing business mm -hmm. in the San Juan de yes. Library. Um, so in November of 2019, I, along with my partner in crime, Lily, <laughs> and Jane, and we brought in Preston Tobery, who is the coordinator of the University of Maryland Library's Makerspace, but he did this on his own time, uh, not with library funds, um, and he has, uh, so, so just wanted to make that clear. Um, well, anyway, we traveled to someone does Sud to set up and train and promote a 3D printing operation in the library as a way to help generate revenue. Okay. Okay. Um, we brought two, down two 3D printers and trained, while we were there for 10 days, we trained five library staff members in the technology. And the goal is to establish the facility in the library as a revenue-making operation. Mm. And the business model will include a training library staff, uh, which we've done, who will manufacture products requested by people in the community and charge them for profits going to the library. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. uh, while we were there, a Lily, the shower head in Lily's, um, sh in her room, was not working properly. She would get like a, two little dribbles of water yeah. going out. Right. And it was a plastic, uh, well no, I guess, it, I don't know if it was plastic, but anyway, right then and there, within a day, Preston was able to uh, download examples of standard shower heads and make one in plastic to then use to attach, take out the old shower head from her uh, shower and install the new plastic made shower head. And voila, there was suddenly a beautiful stream of water coming Wonderful. Okay. Just one of a, what could be many examples of using 3D printing to produce parts. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can imagine, um, uh, San Juan, which is about three to four hours southwest of the capital of mm -hmm. Managua, um, has a hard time finding parts for just household projects products, a little knob on a door that has broken off, right. um, being able to get that manufactured and brought back um, takes a lot of time and effort. So having a 3D printing operation 
that could very easily create that little knob to replace would be something that would be of use That's and great. could be purchased. That's great. So that would be um, one way. The other way would be to we're trying to connect um, the high school students mm -hmm. with the someone with the 3D printing uh, so that they can start learning this technology right. and maybe possibly charging a fee, you know, a small fee for, for that um, exchange of, of knowledge. And then eventually as perhaps the 3D technology takes on and other uh, small businesses are able to perhaps purchase or make their own 3D printer, as they might need consulting services, we would have trained staff in the library, yes. experts on uh, uh, serving as consultants, perhaps charging fees. Um, and idea. yeah, so as the political situation in Nicaragua improves and travel restrictions relax, we're really hopeful that we will be able to resume a lot of the activities mm -hmm. and partnerships um, that I described earlier, and that the library and its programs will continue to thrive. So we're in a hiatus period, but we're we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel That's as long great. as the political yeah. situations right, right. That's great. are okay. So in closing, can you tell our students more about how they can replicate the Libraries for All model in other countries or regions of even Nicaragua? All right, so to answer this question, I would like to actually turn to uh, Jane's foundation. Um, mm -hmm. she, on the website, she articulates some core principles that have guided her through the development and sustainability of her sex successful library program. So, these are six of her core principles that I'll try to articulate sure. for you. Um, one is leadership development. Um, most programs, as she says, are the brainchild of one individual with a passion and vision for how a project should function. And while this might get a valuable program going, that individual must become flexible and adapt to the program's ongoing development. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to her, and I agree with her, a project will be doomed if there is failure to invite and include a local team of mm -hmm. creators and allow them the opportunity to lead. So mm -hmm. you need to find those people in your country, your locale, in country, who um, are on board with this and can take ownership mm -hmm. of the programs. Um, and this is especially true when, um, or important when there are cultural divisions to overcome. So, for instance, when a team member suggests using their country's traditional style of work or design, mm -hmm. their input must be seriously considered. Um, the emerging nations have much to offer that's rich and revealing, and these small differences can, often can make the project more familiar and acceptable to the patrons uh, that you are serving or wish to serve. Number two, collection development, adopt the buy, beg, and borrow approach. Mm -hmm. So James Library began their book collection with hand-me-downs from libraries in three locales that she often visited, New York City, Boston, and Denver. Um, they also purchased from used book sales at public libraries in several Colorado cities and began purchasing um, books from Scholastic using points that had been donated by librarians and teachers. Um, Jane and her team regularly visit the uh, Book Expo America shows and the ALA conventions, and they often acquire donated books mm -hmm. uh, from publishers and or purchase them at the end of the 
convention or right, conferences right. At, at deep, deep discounts. Um, and also other publishers, often often publishers donate multiple copies of the, each book, so they have these other NGO libraries that, that have this trading forum where you can trade, like if you have five copies of a book and you only need one, you can trade them for other unique titles that they might have. Um, so making all these connections has helped them build their collections at um, minimal cost. So a third core principle is the uh, staffing of local population and foreign volunteers. So one of the most important outcomes for projects is to provide careers and a higher standard of living uh, mm -hmm. to the local population. The more education, instruction, and great work experiences that local staff and foreign volunteers can experience together, the greater the impact your project has on the community it serves. Um, and conflicts can occur, especially where language, culture, work ethic, or the way a community works um, can cause misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. if there, and there are going to be differences. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a quote from, from coming from Jane. It is said in Central America, quote, you will know if this is true or not, <laughs> that for every critical comment given, three compliments are required. Mm -hmm. So people, at least the people that Jane's work with, uh, the Nicaraguans, are very sensitive to, mm -hmm. to um, good critical evaluations that might, um, that, that they might take the wrong way. So you have to understand how to give good criticism. Mm -hmm. um, when it's needed. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the kinds of waters you have to learn how to navigate. Um, also, what's important is the, the volunteers need special consideration. So if you've got a project that depends on a lot of uh, volunteers, you want to make sure to ascertain their suitability and um, make the best use of their skills and time. Um, Fourth principle, financial management, mm -hmm. right? Uh, sound, fiscal, uh, sound fiscal management is essential. Um, a sustainable program is one whose uh, affairs are in order. Mm -hmm. uh, attention to detail and keeping receipts, following budgets, updating records is mundane, but it's an essential element mm -hmm. in keeping the doors open. Number five, um, ascertain sustainability and buy-in from the target group. Mm -hmm. Do your research. Absolutely. Research comes before success. Yep. Lack of knowledge about local realities can doom a program. Yep. Also, and this is one that I think is so important, uh, projects tend to fail if they are imposed on a community because an outsider perceives a need. Right. Before launching a program, make sure the community members welcome it, see a need for it, and are willing to sustain the program. That's so great. It's not you telling them what they need, it's right. them coming to you and saying, right. we need this. Right. That's essential. And then finally, succession planning. Learn the art of letting go. Uh, we learn to our chagrin that none of us is indispensable. Create redundancy. Find the heirs apparent and let them have their say. Mm -hmm. Flexible leaders who <clears throat> recognize creativity, welcome feedback, and encourage others to take on leadership roles, create long-lasting, uh, healthy programs are the ones that succeed. 
That's fantastic. Thank you so much. What a great way to end. And this is a very positive note. Uh, as we've spoken, and I'll share here for the students, there's been a lot of stop and go with trying to um, erect a new public library in Bluefields. And you're spot on when you say that there has to be local buy-in. And I think some of my error was to not explain or even ask what is their definition of a library versus what is my definition of a public library. And I learned recently that the librarian and even the mayor, they don't really welcome the idea of a library as a place for meeting, as a place for play, uh, even the idea of crafts or making in a library, that was very foreign. So I had to take a step back and really um, take a you know humility pill to swallow that my pride and and recognize that I was really approaching this and I should have really known better from an ethnocentric standpoint and so the scale of the project is actually a lot smaller than it was and just beginning with a reading space developing the collection remodeling the facility, making it more vibrant and inviting. Um, forget about tablets for now. Mm -hmm. Just work on computers, mm -hmm. maybe two, and a printer. Mm -hmm. So really the scope is really minimal compared to what it was at first. And maybe it can grow into that vision um, later. But I think, uh, you know, a very traditional model of a library um, is something that is important in that context mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. needs to be respected. Yes, so absolutely. Thank you for those reminders and those nuggets. If you've spoken before, I'm always very edified um, and just speaking with you, Pat, and I mean that genuinely. Thank you, Anna. So thank you for your time and I'm sure our students are going to be so thrilled with this interview. So thanks once again. Well, thank you for that the opportunity. That concludes our interview.